Welcome into the Talking Tide podcast on the Pigskin Podcast Network. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com. I'm joined by Travis Ryer, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. We got a big show for you here on a Sunday night. The Talking Tide Twitter feed, of course, Talking underscore Tide. Get links to all our podcasts there. You can get us on our web host at megaphone.com. Also, all the various apps, including Apple Podcasts, etc. You can catch us on YouTube live or recorded. Catch us on Facebook live or recorded. We'll get you everywhere here on Talking Tide. I want to thank our sponsors really quickly. Peter Brook, Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa, North River Dental Associates, and finally DraftKings. More on each of those later in the program. We break down Alabama's 20-14 to 14 home win over LSU Travis, a game that was uh, really a struggle for Alabama from start to finish. As we talked about midweek, they were huge favorites, 28 and a half points. Neither one of, neither one of us uh, uh, saw Alabama covering that big a number, and, and it didn't happen by a long shot. It was a struggle, this one. It was, you know, I think we both thought Alabama uh, and the 28 and a half, 29 was a bit much. And then you also had the big number in terms of the total. So uh, both of those, I think we were good on in this one. But, you know, one of those sort of retro feeling Alabama LSU games kind of had a Stallings era feel to it. Even that 93 game in Tuscaloosa where LSU went in and broke the the long unbeaten streak for Alabama there at Bryant-Denny Stadium. And uh, you kind of figured O was going to throw the kitchen sink, so to speak, at Alabama in his last go-around uh, against the Crimson Tide, and it kind of played out that way. Al, uh, LSU uh, aggressive defensively downhill in its approach, and then O pulls out the, the jump pass from the punter there in the first quarter. So a little bit of everything to get this one going. And I thought LSU for much of the game out hit, uh, just outdid Alabama in a lot of different areas. Yeah, there's no doubt. And you bring up a huge play with that fake punt. That fake punt ended up being an LSU touchdown on that drive. They only scored 14 points. So that's a play that sparked half of, half of LSU scoring right there. And I'd say all around it wasn't a great night for Alabama's special teams because between giving that one up and all, and and I don't even I thought that play was so well designed. I don't know that you can blame anybody for getting beat by it. I thought that was a hell of a play design. Yeah, uh, Alabama was in punt safe. It was just well designed because as you said, as the punter starts running towards the line of scrimmage, instinctively those linebackers are gonna step up. And when they did there was the guy behind him. No doubt about it. But uh, between that play and a pretty rare missed field goal by Will Reichard, also uh, an even more rare missed PAT by Reichard, Alabama left some points on the field special teams-wise. They did. I didn't feel like in watching Alabama's field goal extra point operation on the 49-yarder and on the extra point that the snap hold – was in great shape in either instance. And in both cases, you ended up with misses. Uh, on extra points, it typically doesn't matter as much. But when you're trying to knock one home from 49 yards from like the left hash mark, uh, it can certainly have an impact on things. So just an area among many that I'm sure we'll talk about where Alabama just wasn't quite sharp enough on Saturday night. <laughs> 
Offensively for the Crimson Tide, what most definitely stands out is some big struggles in the running game. We've seen Alabama uh, rip through some defenses with that running game with Brian Robinson this season. Did not happen against LSU. The Crimson Tide, 26 carries for six yards on the night. Completely got shut down in the running game. Put Alabama in a situation where Bryce Young was the offense, and he performed well. But even with Young playing well, it's hard to get traction when you can't run it at all. Yeah, you lose any semblance of sort of balance, obviously, but you turn into, in large part, a backyard type of offense. And that's basically what Alabama was left with. It was what can Bryce Young and John Mechie and Jamison Williams sort of pull out of their collective hats. And Fortunately for Alabama, Bryce Young with another big night. Alabama with 308 total yards in the game. 302, do the math on that six rushing yards, came from Bryce Young and that passing game and well over 200. uh, Gosh, somewhere in the neighborhood of what, 250 of the 302 involved connections between Bryce Young and Jamison Williams and John Mechie. Really wasn't the depth of receiving production that we've grown accustomed to seeing here in the last three or four years. It was Mechie. It was Williams. It was a little bit of Slade Bolden. Cam Latou had one catch. Jalil Billingsley was nowhere to be found. Uh, The backs had a couple of catches between Brian Robinson and Roy Dell Williams. But uh, really, again, from the outset of the game, you just didn't get the sense that this was going to be one of those 50-50 kind of nights. Yeah, Jamison Williams, 10 for 160 receiving, so he actually ends up with more than half of Alabama's total yardage. He's got to be the transfer of the year in college football, does he not? I mean, I mean, who, who's been better than this guy? He's been really good. There's no doubt about that. And you think about where would this Alabama offense be right now if there wasn't another guy to go along with John Mechie and not just a guy. This is the guy that has taken over a top that wide receiver rotation and yeah you know LSU basically said look we're depleted in our secondary we're going to bring pressure we're going to take away your run game and if Bryce Young can stand in there and deliver uh and have the courage in a lot of instances to do it then good for him but even with all that you know you're talking about some low numbers in terms of points what a 34 game streak of 30 plus points was snapped on Saturday night with the 20-point output, just 308 total yards. You have to go back a ways to find the last time Alabama had that type of total yardage output. And as you said, the rushing total was a Saban era low. Go back to 20, well, 2007 LSU game you and I attended in Nick Saban's first season at Bryant-Denny Stadium when they ran for just 20 yards. So uh, some precedent being set in a couple different areas and not all that great where the offense is concerned. And back in that 07 game, which actually was was a thriller, uh, as, as I recall, with a big, big Alabama home crowd, Alabama actually scored a little bit in that game for not running the ball too much. They gave up a, a late touchdown, I believe, to early set when Javier Arenas was faking a blitz and got eaten up on it. And uh, that, was, that was the ball game. Alabama went into that game, shockingly enough, uh, with a shot at the SEC West still that late in the year. People forget that. Yeah, Javier Arenas had the punt return for a touchdown in that game that just sent that place 
off the rails. I still remember the crowd reaction to that at Bryant Denny, and it wasn't at in excess of 100,000 in terms of capacity back in 2007. But uh, yeah, it was a game in which John Parker Wilson played really well. What you had DJ Hall, Keith Brown. Yeah, we're going in the wayback machine with that <laughs> one. Um, but just no ability to to really run the football. That being said, Alabama do, does go two for two in red zone opportunities for touchdowns Saturday night. Brian Robinson did find the end zone. And, you know, you did have a situation in the first quarter up front where you lose Darian Dahlcourt, your center. You move Chris Owens from right tackle to center. You come with Damian George at right tackle. Even on the touchdown run by Brian Robinson, you got Tommy Brown in the game at right guard because Emil Echior's helmet came off on the previous play. You had a lot of moving pieces involved, and that didn't help matters either. What did you think of George's performance at right tackle? Obviously, he played essentially the whole game because Dalcourt went out so early. Um, even though Alabama didn't run the ball, I didn't notice George struggling a lot. I didn't think he struggled all that much. Now, they predictably, LSU did, as soon as they kind of figured out that, you know, they've had to change some things, shuffle some things in that first five, they overloaded that side a couple of times, including on the fourth quarter sack of Bryce Young that resulted in a fumble and gave LSU a final chance there in the fourth quarter to try to win the football game. I thought he held up pretty well. Um, You know, you can still see where he's a little rough around the edges. I think as much as anything, still getting to a point physically where he can sustain over the course of four quarters. I guess a silver lining and all that is that Alabama didn't run enough plays Saturday night (laughs) to really physically tax uh, anybody on that side of the ball, other than maybe Bryce Young, who was uh, kind of in jailbreak mode, it seemed like, and trying to escape the pressure for much of the night. But I thought Damian George was fine. Um, They're still nowhere close, though, up front. To what they were a year ago. You anticipated some of this, but you figured nine games into the season chase, even before Dahlcourt went out, that they would be further along as a unit than they they than they are right now. But you know what? They may just be what they are, Chase, in terms of their personnel, the experience of some of those guys, their talent level, where they're at right now in their first five. This may just be what this offensive line is, and it may not change all that much for the rest of the season. And if that's the case, and as a coaching staff, you got to design game plans around that. You can't ask guys to do something that they've failed at repeatedly, you know, specific to the offense. You play to people's strengths. If you have to play to your line strengths, then that's what you do. If you don't play to your line strengths, nothing else is going to work. So uh, it's on – Bill O'Brien and the rest of that office of coaching staff uh, to find a way to get it done uh, on nights when that offensive line is not at its best. But you're right, not a lot of plays at all for Alabama. At one point in the second half, I believe they had three consecutive three and outs. That's never good. That, 22, that's pretty... 22 plays total in the second half Ugh, Saturday night. Just awful. And then even on the front end, you know, you get the drop, the terrible drop by Cameron Latou on the first play of the game. Mm-hmm. You, you have a fumbled snap, right, with Bryce Young. I mean, it was just the whole offense just seemed to be way out of sync kind of from the get-go. Uh, but they were able to pull out the victory. And, uh, you know, I th- and then another thing, 
where's Jaleel Billingsley? Yeah. Um, I mean, that 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 absence seems to get more glaring by the week, does it not? Well, and you'd kind of seen a ramp up, too, a Trayshawn Holden in the couple of previous games. And as we talked about earlier, your pool of receiving options seemed to dry up during the bye week. And it was, once again... You had 28 targets combined Saturday night for John Mechie and Jamison Williams. You targeted 37 uh, uh, on uh, you, you, you threw the ball 37 times. So 28 times the targets on those plays were either two guys. And look, they continue to produce. Now, is that sustainable? Big picture when you consider matchups both real and potential for this team? I don't know. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit, Travis, of, gosh, was it 2013? Uh, the one big year that Zach Mettenberger had at LSU, he threw balls to Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry all day long, yep. and that's about all he had. He didn't throw to the tight ends. He didn't dump it off. Those two guys caught everything. I think, I think OBJ and Jarvis Landry – caught like 75 or 80% of Mettenberger's completions that year. So almost you kind of get the feel that kind of, I kind of get that feel with this team. Yeah. And from the Alabama perspective, maybe a little bit of 2014 as we've talked about and that, that year you just had pretty much Amari Cooper. Now DeAndrew White and a couple other guys did contribute and make some plays as receivers, but what did Amari have nearly 130 receptions in 14 games <laughs> yeah. in 2014 and uh great season from Blake Sims there but you know you wondered as that season went along what's really the ceiling for this team with this offense and we found out it was the semifinals of the first college football playoff uh, maybe this team gets to that point uh, we'll see how things shake out but you know considering again even Auburn in the regular season finale on the Plains uh, you know, showing you some good things, even in a loss to A&M Saturday afternoon that, you know, they can hang in defensively pretty well. Flipping it over now and discussing Alabama's defensive performance against LSU, much more positive, certainly. Uh, pretty much a dominant effort, Travis. The total yardage in the game was roughly even. LSU was certainly more balanced. They had a 100-yard rusher uh, with Davis Price. Uh, but overall, Alabama's defense controlled this game and won this game for Alabama. I don't think there's any doubt about that because they were taking shots from the LSU offense into the end zone there to end the game. But uh, once again, just tremendous performance from Will Anderson as dominant a defensive player that this current generation has perhaps laid its eyes on where Alabama's concerned anyway, just continues to stack the TFLs, another sack and a half in the game Saturday night. Again, to be an outside linebacker and make as many tackles as this guy makes, just total. His numbers are more like what you would see from an inside linebacker, and he's an outside linebacker. So, you know, I thought Dallas Turner, the true freshman, came up big uh, in a couple of spots with two sacks, and he was actually held there on that last held or a face mask on that Hail Mary there to end the game. So he certainly had a big input, even though Drew Sanders was available for the first time in nearly a month or so. Um, so I thought the linebacker play, especially the front seven play was, was good enough. Uh, Ty Davis price had the 37 yard run down inside the 10 there in the fourth quarter. That was 
Uh, you know, a little bit concerning. Jordan Battle with a nice tackle there to save the touchdown and make LSU try to get in the hard way, which they ended up not being able to do. So front seven did some good things. I thought across the board the defense played pretty well. You had a couple of breakdowns once again, though. The touchdown catch by Brian um, was it Brian Thomas Jr. for LSU, where they lined him up in the backfield in the first quarter, and it looked like Toa Toa and Malachi Moore. Somebody was supposed to take Thomas out of the backfield. He's right. a wide receiver lined up in the backfield. I think that caused some confusion, but you know, all in all, some good stuff across the board for this Alabama defense. Inside linebackers showed up for Alabama in this one too. Travis, you had Christian Harris breaking up a pass that got deflected to Jalen Armour Davis for a big interception. Really nice play from Harris there. That was the play uh, that made that happen. And then, of course, you had Henry Toa Toa causing a fumble on Davis Price uh, that Alabama recovered uh, near midfield. So uh, those those two guys, I thought, played uh, at least made as big plays as much as they have this year. They did. You're right. Both takeaways for Alabama, the two inside linebackers were huge on both of those. So credit to Toa Toa and Harris. Harris was in coverage on the second touchdown pass by Max Johnson that went to uh, Jack Betch, the sort of hybrid tight end slot receiver for LSU. That was a tough matchup for Harris there. But again, all in all, I thought the linebacker level, you go and just look at the production uh, across the board. It, it was a very good night for those guys. Brought a lot of heat on my, on Max Johnson. I, I thought Pete Golden kind of turned him loose. And as the game went on, you kind of sense that that pass rush was, was e- even going to be even a bigger problem for Johnson. Matter of fact, uh, 236 left in the game, fourth and nine for LSU. Alabama just brought a house blitz, brought them all. Yeah, Todd uh, Grantham. Todd Grantham style. <laughs> that's right. All right. That's exactly right. Well, it, it doesn't work so good down in Gainesville, apparently. Uh, it but... might from now on, but. <laughs> that's right. No, Not... I was, I was, you know, sitting with, sitting among some friends. I said, I, these, third down and fourth down, I said, I would bring at least six on Mm -hmm. each of these next two plays because four-man rush isn't consistent enough for Alabama still. Uh, Even when Alabama brings five, it seems like there's a book out on how to pick up Alabama's five-man pressure. Um, So what you don't see Alabama do a lot, right, is six, and you certainly don't see seven. Mm -hmm. But you saw six and seven on back-to-back snaps. I thought it was great. I mean, why not? I mean, you're busting coverages still in the ninth game of the season. Why rush four and maybe they do some things pre-snap motion that gets you confused again, and then you got a guy running wide open to beat you late. What did you make of Kool-Aid McKinstry getting a start, Josh Job not start, and then we see Josh Job come in a little bit later in the game. I thought it was a little odd uh, that Job wasn't quite right to start, but but substituted in. Yeah, that was interesting. You know, Saban, after the game, talked about it and said Josh really wasn't able to practice during the week. And we do know that from our past experiences covering this program. If you're not able to practice by Wednesday, you're probably not going to be much of a factor in the game unless it's on an emergency basis. So I'm going on the assumption that that was the case with Job. He just wasn't able to really do anything much by Wednesday. 
but apparently later in the week, he got to a better place with that toe, or at least to the point where they felt like if they needed to call on him, they could do that. And, you know, I thought the corners were pretty good. Armor Davis, before he went out, uh, he has the interception. Uh, McKinstry was fine. You know, I, there, there wasn't anything stunningly uh, alarming uh, about his performance. Again, it just seems like between the safety and the star position, they continue to have some pre-snap issues mm-hmm. uh, that from time to time lead to at least the potential for some busts and some big plays. And I'm just surprised by that because we're talking about guys that at this point have played a lot of football, not only a lot of football, but a lot of football together. So communication between a lot of these guys, this shouldn't be happening nine games into the season. No, I mean, you look at a guy like Malachi Moore, he's, he's a sophomore, but he's in terms of experience, he's older than that, right? He played a a ton of football, right? Uh, Pretty much a full-time starter, uh, last year and this, uh, so yeah, you're right. It, it's a uh, it's a secondary that that should not be having communication issues uh, this late in the season for sure. The Talk of Tide podcast at the Pigskin Podcast Network. Moving on, we are going to thank a couple of sponsors here on the program for you. We're going to start by telling you a little about North River Dental Associates and Dr. Jack Smalley and that team of. Highly professional dental hygienist over there at 1100 Fairfax Park off Watermelon Road for all of your dental needs, your family's dental needs. Go there. He's got the porcelain veneers, the cosmetic dentistry, the laser dentistry, whatever your needs might be. He can take care of them. Teeth whitening services. Also doing Botox and Juvederm treatments over at North River River Dental. So get over there. Get yourself taken care of. They're going to have you in and out of the chair, typically in less than an hour. I was in there for a little chip replacement just the other day. Had a super experience in and out in no time. I ended up making small talk with Dr. Jack for longer than I was in the chair getting worked on, Travis. That's That's how quick it goes over there at North River Dental Associates. Yeah, and if you open like Budweiser bottles with your teeth like good bread, Dr. Jack doesn't pass judgment. He just fixes that chip like he did for Chase. I I told yeah. him I I told him I chipped that tooth chewing on fingernails, you yeah. know. I'm not I'm not sure he bought yeah. it, you know. Yeah. Beer bottles. Good bread still opens with those choppers. I'm going to tell you about Peterbrook Chocolatier right there in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, 15:30. McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section. And they're right next door to Southern Ale House, our great friends there. So you've got a dynamic duo right there. Peter Brook with that chocolate popcorn, the signature item, the Roll Tide Alabama-themed treats. You're going to find all that at Peter Brook Chocolatier. We are officially in countdown mode to the holiday season. Take care of those corporate orders, those gifts. They can handle that for you as well. 205-752-0211. Get those orders in today at Peterbrook Chocolatier. Finally, going to tell you about our corporate sponsor, and that would be DraftKings. NFL fans hungry for a big win this week. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the National Football League. They've got you covered. New customers can bet $5 on any NFL team this week to win their game. If they do, you win $200 in free bets. You absolutely cannot beat that. If you've got any thoughts of taking a swing at Vegas, man, 
do it with that DraftKings Sportsbook. Just download the app now. Use the promo code TPPN. That's the Pigskin Podcast Network acronym. You'll win $200 in free bets if you win just a $5 bet on any NFL team this weekend. That's at the DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the National Football League. And Travis, we'll move from talking about NFL bets to uh, the rest of the SEC. And gosh, we got to start with Dan Mullen and the disaster that went down against the South Carolina Gamecocks. He's got to go at this point, doesn't he, Travis? I mean, I don't, I, I'm not going to say that this is the game that gets him fired necessarily, but isn't this the game that screams <laughs> it ain't going to get any better from here? Well, it looks like they've started to uh, rearrange some of the deck chairs on the Titanic, as we learned yeah. Sunday night. A couple of coaching changes to Dan Mullen's staff with Todd Grantham, chief among them, the defensive coordinator for the Gators on his way out. That was anticipated regardless. He was in the final year of his contract, but it does look like also a change at the offensive line coach position. So changes afoot in Gainesville. I'm with you, though. I'm left to wonder at this point, will it really matter? Because when I look at Florida, relative to what my expectation of Florida's roster on a year-to-year basis is, how much is this going to change the effectiveness of Dan Mullen chiefly as a recruiter and as someone who on a day-to-day basis reinforces the importance and drives that aspect of the program? Because there's never been this sense with Dan Mullen that first and foremost, recruiting is something that he considers to be a day-to-day necessity. And so I don't know how much this changes. I also think from a culture perspective, there is a line of demarcation. And once you get beyond it, it's just more inevitable as far as change at the top position than anything else. And that's the feeling I get with Florida right now is that for that program to be where it wants to be on a year-to-year basis, not once every two years or three years or four years, which is kind of the Mullen MO, mm-hmm. which is what it was at Mississippi State. But this ain't Mississippi State. No. And no. Um, that's just not going to be good enough. So if it's not good enough today, is it going to be good enough a year from now? Right. Yeah. yeah. Our buddy Matt Hayes wrote a column on Florida, the state of Florida football coming off of this loss online, at, at, which I agreed with in large part. And Matt's basic point was that if you look at, these three prongs of coaching, one being X's and O's, two being recruiting, three being the CEO part of it. He said, Dan Mullen's really, really good with the X's and O's, but he's not hes not what Florida's got to have in the other two respects, and that's not enough. You can't just be an X's and O's master on Saturday and get it done because the recruiting's not there, and don't let's not even start about the CEO part. I mean, no. he, he, he's the he's the CSEO, the chief screw up officer when it comes, <laughs> when, when it comes well, to that. The, so. the arrogance and this sort of this sort of vibe that he is beyond reproach when things start to go bad. Yeah. You know, like he doesn't have to answer to anyone or anything. Well, yeah, you do, Dan. You know, when you're what, two and eight in your last ten. Yeah. Games against Power Five competition, yeah, 
Yeah, you do have to answer. And I, you have to do it in a way in which you know, you're reassuring to your fan base and not driving the wedge even further between that group. I'll go so far as to say, I guess this isn't even going out on a limb. He's stuck his foot in his mouth more since he got to Florida than Lane Kiffin has since Kiffin got to Ole Miss by a long shot. Well, we can talk about the losses, but sort of the tipping point for me was the Missouri game last year. Absolutely. When he runs out on the field and shows his ass. Terrible. It was, it, to me, if I was Scott Strickland, the AD for Florida, I would have suspended him for the next game. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been a, a call for the league office to make. That was shockingly embarrassing to not only the Florida football program, but to the University of Florida in general. That place is better than that. They're better than Dan Mullen. But Dan Mullen, if you asked him and you injected him with true serum, he would tell you, Florida's damn lucky to have me, man. I coached <laughs> Dak Prescott. <laughs> You Not know? real good at pointing the thumb no. as Dan Mullen. No, That's at for all. Sure. Texas A&M 20-3 over Auburn. I was way wrong on that one. I had Auburn winning that game. They couldn't. I also said they better lean on Tank in that game, which they did not do. Uh, 15 carries for Tank and, and Bo Nix threw, threw the ball 40-plus times. Uh, nevertheless, A&M took care of business there. As you said, though, the Auburn defense showed that it can hang a little bit when the offense is is not there at all. Yeah, they they did. I was I was pretty impressed with how they hung in there on the um on the defensive side of the ball. That being said, you still had Isaiah Spiller and Devon A chain combining for 210 rushing yards. So it wasn't like AM was shut down on the ground. Zach Calzada with an efficient performance didn't throw any touchdown passes, but didn't turn it over in a big way like Bo Nix did in the game for Auburn at the quarterback position. So I was wrong too. I thought Auburn was going to remain perfect in college station. Uh, it did not happen. And boy, A&M continues to roll. So going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast on the Pigskin Podcast Network. Be sure to join us midweek. We'll be taking a look at Alabama's next game. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. And we'll talk to you midweek here on Talking Tide.